<laughs> I want you. Okay, hold on. I want you to imagine you've opened your fortune cookie. Fill your cake stand with art, house with dirt, and your birthday cards with hair. It's the new Bible. There. Know the system you're messing with before you mess with it. Know the system you're messing with before. You... Yes. That's it. Check. Done. That was the fastest one yet. Is it worth the wait? And welcome to Agreement with me, Catherine. And me, Michelle. And this is our podcast. And every fortnight on this podcast, what do we do? We bring you three things each. What are those things? Pop culture thing. But first, it's a weird thing. And finally, it's a research thing. (laughs) And then we take those six things between us and mix them up together and see what comes out in the form of a little fortune cookie that you can take with you to reflect on for the next fortnight. And that's it. That's it. That's, that's what podcast. we do. Yeah. That's the most efficiently we've ever explained. It, it is. Congrats. It is. Now we need to go off on a tangent for at least 10 minutes or people are going to feel like we've been replaced by robots. I know. <laughs> like, what's wrong with that? <laughs> to be fair, we already had our tangent. That so we're ready we for a little efficiency. Um, is what we're saying. Exactly. This is going to be an efficient podcast episode. I can feel it. Oh, and... I was I was like, the whole episode? You are setting a high <laughs> bar for us here. I don't... Also, that's not... That wouldn't be very entertaining. Yeah. It would probably I'm, be... I'm not committing to all that, but we had an efficient intro, and I'm I'm satisfied by okay. that. We'll see. I, okay. So, I go first, so I get to set the efficiency train. Choo-choo. My weird thing is not super weird, but, but it is a thing. It, it is a thing. No, I'm going to say it is a weird thing. It's it's I've it's just quickly become normalized in my life. It's a nice thing now, but it's pretty weird. Um, have you heard of Australian magpies? Like the bird? Like the bird? Have you heard much about them? Do you know if I have their lore or their I've seen people talk about them in the wingspan group that I'm in and they post because they're the pretty black and white ones, right? They're very pretty. Yeah. Yeah. And they like, they look like crows, but with white on them. Yeah. They look like beautiful crows. They're very big. They have white on them. 
Um, and they're different. Australian magpies are slightly different than magpies other places in the world. They're especially big. But within Australia, they're known for being especially aggressive. Oh, okay. Um, extremely aggressive. Before I live in Australia now, I lived in Australia for a while before, and I was just so terrified of magpies. And if you are in Australia for any amount of time, you will inevitably see these big signs. And they're like official signs, like a speed limit sign or like a wet floor sign that they put up in areas where there are especially aggressive magpies. And it's just like, warning, swooping bird, like... And then it tells you to like avoid the area if you can. And so there's not, that's not like a preparation warning. It's just like a, hey, you might get bombarded with talons and beaks here. Yeah, there's nothing you can do except don't come here. And, um, and it's just such a funny sign. The bird is like outstretched and, um, and they especially like to swoop if you're biking and have a helmet on. And so, so most- the thing you could do to protect yourself attracts them more through, yes exactly by being safe and having a helmet um you get swooped even more and there is just funny like um people who have cameras on their helmets or on their bikes and are recording for safety reasons or whatever have these just horrific magpie attack videos where they really go at it and if you've seen a magpie attack someone they don't let up and they are big and they can hurt you and so most i would say most cyclists in australia that you see have um the easiest thing to do so what you see the most is they take zip ties and they just attach zip ties to their helmet so they're like big spikes along their helmet um or you can buy helmets especially for like children you can buy helmets with like decorative mohawk spikes but it's basically just big spikes that you put you you need to put spikes on your helmet in some form and then the magpies won't come at you and they also, for smaller dogs, they sell like dog coats with giant spikes on them too. So the magpies will leave the dogs alone. And all this to say, here's what is weird. I learned this week, you can become friends with magpies. And I learned it because I have made friends with a magpie couple. Aww. And I'm so happy. It has bring me such joy. Anyone who knows me or has listened to this podcast or both, knows that I have a thing for wild animals. I don't have pets. I don't want pets, but I love having wild animals that I interact with, you know, at some level. I think it's the same as I don't want children, but I love being an aunt. That's what this <laughs> is. That's how I interact with animals. I like wild animals that have their then, own Then when I'm done with to. you, I can walk away and you are some, yes. someone else's responsibility. Not- you do not live or die on my watch. I am not 100% responsible for you, but we can have a fun time and have a relationship. And, and so I and have I'm going to feed you a bunch of questionable foods and then the consequences exactly. are someone else's. Oh, let me get back to that though. Um, with the squirrels, I could feed them whatever I wanted. With the magpies, not so much. I'm learning a lot. But basically, um, so yes. So I had my squirrels. I didn't have anything like that here in Australia. And I'm so happy because that is now the relationship I have with these magpies. And just, I don't quite know how it started. Basically last week sometime, a big magpie swooped up and landed on our porch railing and didn't immediately fly away. And so I went out and I gave it a nut. I gave it a cashew. And the next day it came back. And so 
I Googled, how do I make friends with magpies? And so then I started an official regimen to become friends with magpies because Google told me you can absolutely become friends with magpies because magpies remember faces. So that's, they're one of those birds, right? That they know they remember faces. So if a magpie swoops you and it doesn't like you, it will remember that and be mean. But if you are good to a magpie, they will remember you. And so basically what I've been doing is when the magpie comes, I get a cashew and I walk over as close as it'll let me get. And you have to make eye contact with the magpie, have it see your face. I hold the nut up to my face and say, hey. And then I set the nut down and it eats it. And I put some water out for them, for the magpie, it likes the water. So at first it was just one magpie. And then a second magpie came. I thought they were gonna fight because they're very territorial, but no. They're clearly a couple. It is a male and a female magpie. And I have learned that the male magpies are the ones that are more aggressive. They protect the nest, they swoop. And the female magpies are the ones that tend to become friends with people. Like they kind of go out and say, oh, what's up? Because they're less aggressive. And if you really get in with a magpie, you know you're friends with a magpie if they bring their husband around, their male partner. And so I am friends with this magpie. She brought... Um, her husband to meet me. I introduced her. I'm really anthropomorphizing this, but I introduced her to my husband and I feed them probably between 10 to 30 cashews a day. Cashews are not cheap, but they don't like almonds. Um, I tried almonds. They won't eat the almonds. They love cashews. And it is important to feed them things they like and things that are good for them because I also read that if you feed them something that makes them sick, they will attack you. They will know that you did this to them. And even if you were friends, friendship is over. They will come and fuck you up. Oh, so, what a lot of pressure. It's a lot of pressure. It's, it's harder than squirrels, the squirrels. For sure. Yes, I've, I've definitely graduated. But now the ultimate, and they have come back every day. And basically in the morning, because it's summer here and it's hot, we open up our back door to our porch and probably within a few seconds of the back door opening up they must hear it they come and they're there they come back probably half a dozen times throughout the day they'll hang out on the porch it is delightful please take um, some I've pictures also, of your magpies and send them to me I absolutely <laughs> will i've leveled up because they've started vocalizing um sometimes if i've decided they've had enough cashews and they have decided they have not they will sing at me and when I go over and talk to them, they'll talk back, they'll make noises. So vocalization, um, if you're already friends with them, is like the next level. I feel a little like I'm playing The Sims and it's like, okay, I've leveled up the relationship, but they're real things. The ultimate goal that I'm trying to get to with my magpie friends is that they have been known with their best friends to introduce them to their babies. Aww. So I don't know when that season is of when magpies have babies. And I read the other day that only 14% of all adult magpies ever have babies. So it's, you know, I'm, they How? might not even ever have that. I don't know why it's so low because there are a lot of magpies. Part of the reason is they all eat each other's eggs. They're all very aggressive and very territorial and they're like eating one another's eggs. And but it's other not like eggs. causing a population decline for only 14% of them to have. No. That's how many magpies there are. And when most of them no. are all aggressive. So I was going to say, like, are the most aggressive ones the ones that are successfully breeding new, like, are they becoming a super race yeah. of extremely <gasps> aggressive? Like, that's exactly right. That's probably part of it. So I hope that 
they also can tell other magpies about you if you're cool or not. So I hope that the word is out in uh, my part of Brisbane that I am a good person and don't swoop me. And I'll definitely send you pictures because they're beautiful. They're beautiful and, birds. And magpies are corvids, right? Like the um, like ravens and crows, that branch of bird yeah, species. Yeah. Um, cause they, cause the face memory thing, do, did you read the study about the crows, how they had the person like wear the mask. And then like, if somebody else was like, they remembered the mask, like it was, it was wild. Like they had, it's, it's super interesting. I don't it's remember so details, but um, I think it's I, very like, impressive. The other, I will end this with the other weird thing. Now that I have this close relationship with magpies is, and I don't know, I never thought about this. I watch the meat nuts every day now birds drool a lot and it's gross there's something about like i expect it from a dog and if i see a dog drool okay but the amount of saliva these birds are just letting i I guess for a nut you would need like yeah but i i i guess i i don't think i've ever thought about bird spit in my life like they make a lot of drool and it's just hanging off them as they eat the nuts. These elegant birds, it, they let it hang loose in my backyard. So we're friends. That's you're, what you you're do with you're super close. It's like when you will let somebody come over if you haven't cleaned up, right? You're like, yeah, come on in. Exactly. Exactly. So yeah, that is my, I'm making friends with magpies and you can do it. And it's wonderful. I read a um, thing about crows that they were in like a, somebody was visiting like a wildlife rehabilitation facility or something and as they were going through the crows were saying caw at them but not like cawing at them the crows were saying caw like the way a human would say caw oh and, wow and the people there were like it's because people caw at them all day so now they're making fun of you like <laughs> <laughs> caw 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 <laughs> caw 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 I love that so much <laughs> Well played, crows. I do. I know that crows, like, if you make friends with crows, because you can also make friends with crows, and right, they're in the same family, like you said, that they will then bring you things. You can train them to, like, yeah, bring you they'll bring you like trinkets and stuff. I'm trying to figure that out, but I don't think magpies do that. I think they're too concerned fighting and eating and being cannibalistic. So we 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 run by the sword, not by not by coin. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, they'll defend me from other magpies, but no coins. No, no coin coins. for you. Yep. All right. Well, my weird thing is somewhat ironically, I was walking around with two listeners of this podcast who want to meet you someday. They're so the next time Catherine's in town, will you please introduce us to her? Um, so uh, where we talked about crows, because crows were really interesting fascinating as i was leaving that walking date that i very much enjoyed i drove past a fancy middle school and outside were children dressed as mattresses (laughs) 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 sorry i gotta let Catherine collect herself how many times we say this every effing podcast but no matter how tired i am no matter how sad or down or not feeling it are like okay i let's do the podcast i it's like i forget that this brings me so much joy <laughs> i love that we do this i needed to hear just the phrase children dressed as mattresses today 
Okay, continue. <laughs> so, I'm like, what is happening? And they're, you know, they're out and it looks like they have like pieces of an actual mattress on them. And they've got like their head and arms sticking out and they're waving around and they're all happy at you. And I'm like, what is happening? And then I see that they're that like some of them have poster boards, you know, the way you would have like, you know, car wash or whatever. Yes. Yeah. Mattress sale fundraiser today. And so it was a fundraiser for the school where they sell mattresses. And I have so many questions that, you know, I should have just stopped. I should have been like, I need, I, I need answers. Um, because like, are people impulse buying mattresses? Like mattresses cost like so much. A thousand dollars. You're just like, well, I was, you know, I was going to go get some milk, but I think I'll stop and get a mattress real quick. And I mean, you can't like take it home and so i assume you're like ordering the mattress there but then it's getting delivered to your house later but then so is the school full of mattresses that you can try out or or is it just like yeah it is it like i assume it's like with magazine sales right like with it's where it's a third party and the school is only the interlocutor to some mattress factory somewhere but it's with magazines whatever or chocolate bars, right? These things that you're like, well, I need to give money to the school so I can use some chocolate. And then I mentioned it to the Why? friend I was walking around with. I was like, this is just so weird. And she's like, you know, mattress sales are kind of scammy and weird anyway, because they use like all the different mattress companies use different metrics. So they can't be directly compared to one another. And like they use these really aggressive sales techniques to get you to buy them. And then I was like, well, I was thinking about how, um, you know, these, all these new, cause I listen to a lot of podcasts and there's always mattress commercials oh, on yeah. the ones you can order online. And, uh, and I have never gotten a mattress like that. But I have a Casper mattress because it- I did not want to go through the actual going to a store and buying a mattress. Are you happy? It's with a great your mattress. I'm very, very happy with it. <laughs> so for a long time, I, got I was it. like, well, if they're selling them at like half the price of what you buy a mattress for, like, is this some kind of scam? But probably just the upcharge by the mattress company is the yeah. scam. So I don't, I don't know. I but it wasn't my research thing, so I didn't feel obligated to find out more about big mattress and its um, wily hold on us. But yes, the children dressed as mattress and. The, mattresses and the fact that it was a mattress fundraiser I just that is not a thing I would ever think of to raise funds with no I think that's and that's part of the beauty and joy of the weird thing part is just throwing mystery out into the world so as much as I could wonder and hypothesize on that I think just we're just gonna let it be just gonna let it be but I will be thinking about that a lot it also so there was no no okay I said I was gonna drop it I'm not gonna <laughs> drop it because like when you did chocolate I hate I hate all school sales stuff oh, I hated it so much when, <sighs> well I don't know if you we had to sell for band and it was like Cherrydale and it was like the most expensive like chocolates it was like Twenty-four dollars back in nineteen ninety-nine for a pack of twelve, essentially peanut butter cups with like an yeah. extra layer to make them fancy or something, and 
and we were selling to, I mean, I don't know. I grew up poor. Like I felt so terrible asking anyone around me. I'm like, please don't actually buy this, but I'm supposed to try to sell this. Like, I don't, yeah, I know you can't, <laughs> you, you can't and reasonably buy this. Absolutely. It was, why do they make us do that? In high school, I'm also scarred from it. Cause in high school we did calendar sales and it was just this douche in high school calendar but it wasn't just, oh, do this and you get a prize. It, there was a penalty that if you didn't sell, they also made the teachers sell calendars. Like that's a Catholic school for you, right? It wasn't just students. There was also the teachers had to sell the calendars. And if you didn't sell this minimum of calendars, they did they they did aim it as a treat, but it was a punishment, which is if you sold this many calendars, you got a day off of school. But because that it was also for teachers and stuff that if you didn't sell the calendars, you had to go to school and there weren't many teachers there. And it was just like being in detention. Everyone had to go to like one room and all the teachers who weren't there had to like give homework assignments for the day for work for you to sit and do. And I was shame, just never, for shame. it was, shame. it was, it was, and, and the teachers who were there did not want to be there and we didn't want to be there. My whole, my whole average for the class dropped because the teacher did this BS assignment because she had to give out assignments. And I was actually very, very proud of the work I did, but I did it in pencil. And she was like, this has to be done in pen, you fail. And I had a zero on like a whole assignment. So not selling the calendars like actively hurt my grades in high school. It's silly. A zero for being written in pencil? Yes. I don't understand. That, Clearly, it bothers me still to yeah. this day. Talking about this just brought back memories that I had completely like blocked out, probably for good reason. And I don't even know what we were selling because it was school wide, so it couldn't have just been the band thing. Um, but if you sold enough of them, you got to like get in the money box. Is is this room? Is this ringing oh, any bells? No. Oh, I forgot about that till just a second. Oh, the <laughs> money box. Like the prize was also like I did. You don't want to like we're, we're you don't want to be in front of everyone. No and air is blowing on you. Yeah, and you're grabbing yeah. cash. Oh no! And like the they did it box. at lunch, so like the, everybody was watching you. Um, I <sighs> you know again like I grew up poor, so I never sold enough to get in the money box. But I just remember watching it with like a kind of horror. And like if you really think about it, and there would be like one one hundred dollar bill in there, and a bunch of ones and. Um, I, and some people would try to get smart and like, you know, have like a billowy t-shirt and like capture and they, that doesn't yes. count. It has to be in your hands. And I and, and, just the, slide it through a little, um, so you can just take the money with you, right? There was a little, yeah, yeah. a slot in the plastic that you just slide, you slide it, it through. Yeah. Yeah. And then, like, you could win a limo ride, and, like, the limo would come, and we all had to look out the door, oh, and you yeah. get in the limo, so that there was just a lot of public shame around these, like, fundraisers, like, because, I mean, sure, you get a cool limo ride, but it's, like, a limo ride for an hour during the school day, but the point was that everybody had to come look at you get in the limo look at you in the limo yeah I'm it was surprised the... we didn't achieve class consciousness faster here right <laughs> <laughs> it's just we such should a have been strange... burning that school down man <laughs> oh look the people who can afford the people who have 
a network that's rich enough to buy $30 chocolates get to go get more money yeah. and ride limos and you have to watch because you can't yep. afford that. Got it. Check. Lesson learned. Oh boy, howdy. And that's We'll call this economics. <laughs> oh, yep. Oh, I totally, yep. Totally repressed the money box until just this moment. What were we selling for? What was the, was it just for the school at large? I think it was like, just what? the school, yeah. And I can't even remember what we were selling. And there were little pom-pom animals that yes. stuck to your desk and you could get one if you sold it. I sold enough to get a pom-pom animal. <laughs> I don't know why I want it. Like, I don't think I did want one. I think I was like, I don't care about this. <laughs> And know. you just, you had to do it. it was something you had to go try yeah. to do. Yeah. We're all just little, just little willy Lomans with our little <laughs> catalogs. Oh, please, please. I'm working so hard for my family. Working so <laughs> hard for my money lot. box. You know, you know, that, that line delivered in Death of a Salesman. Oh, I'm working so hard for my family. <laughs> I mean, that is the gist of it. <laughs> Cliff notes. This is why I don't teach literature. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, I think okay. I think we can go ahead and say we've thrown the efficiency out the window. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you knew it. I you knew it, Michelle. I should have known as well. Okay. Okay. So yeah. The, but the mystery of the mattresses will remain. What do you get if you sell enough mattresses? Your own, I don't know. Here's your own a mansion. Little, <laughs> little pom pom. Yeah, what would that a little here's some Bitcoin. Here's some I don't know. Like what would what's the equivalent your... of a limo ride for kids these days that everyone would have to watch them do? Get to have an influencer come and take you around for the day or something. <laughs> yeah. Watch you walk yeah. away with I don't do even I don't even know what influencers would impress the kids. So I know. I like how we both choked at that. I'm like, I don't I don't know what the kids would what the limo ride is. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Culture. So last time, um I last fortnight, last episode. I teased out that I had a pretty long and researched pop culture, but then it went out the window because I wanted to talk about Skinamarink and I was going to give it to you today. But now I just last minute remembered something topical. And so, um, so you have to wait. once again, have to wait for whatever my long research pop culture is. But this is topical because this will be coming out. Oh my gosh, this is going to come out on Thanksgiving Day, right? Oh, yeah. Thursday. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you're li- if you're listening to me, And while Thanksgiving has lots of problems with its, you know, origins, it is a day. I love my family and I'm pretty close with them. Your family's amazing. I love your family. And so I like spending time with my family and I like to cook and I have kind of made over the past few years, Thanksgiving, like my thing. I like, because I have not a big, big family, but I have a family with several brothers and one of them has children. And so, you know, like Christmas is a production 
and we want to, we try to get together and I'm not gonna be like, come to my house for Christmas, but I like having people over to my place. And I really liked having people come over for Thanksgiving and I am excellent at Thanksgiving. This brings us to this year. I am in Brisbane and I'm away from my family and I'm away from a lot of my friends like you, Michelle. I do have friends and colleagues here. So at first, my husband and I were floating the idea. I kind of had this dream that we would have like a Thanksgiving here for anyone who's from the US or who wants to just Australians who want to laugh at us like the crows laugh at people and go caw, caw. caw. They can go go corn, corn. (laughs) That's yours. You found that? Yeah. So, um, So I did have these like really big excited dreams that I would do it for all our friends here and so this is our first year here it's such a great way we haven't had people over to our house yet and we were gearing up for it and then I forgot that of course Thanksgiving isn't a holiday here and so we don't have time off and I got right before we sent the invites out for everyone for Thanksgiving I got a note that it was um a grading day and in Australia you don't just submit grades. You have to go to in-person meetings and go through this whole thing with everyone else who's grading and put the grades in very formally. And so I got the invite that it's happening on Thursday. So not only can I not sit around and make Thanksgiving dinner, everyone we would invite is going to be at this meeting. And so it went out the door. And so we were like, should we still have like a late Thanksgiving? And I just got very sad. And I miss my family and my friends. And I decided it would to try to recreate those memories and to do it when it's just two people who are sad because they can't have a full Thanksgiving um, is not worth it. And so we're not doing it. But then I remembered, is this pop culture? I don't know. It, it derives from pop culture. So my husband and I have this thing called Nicolas Cage Day, which is a holiday. And it is not a holiday that falls on any particular day of the year. Nay, Nicolas Cage Day is a holiday that you celebrate on a day you know you will be sad. So if you know there is a sad day in your life coming up, maybe it's the anniversary of something sad, like a loved one's death, or you're just missing people, or you have a really hard thing you have to do the next week whatever if there is a day in the future you know you will be sad make it Nicolas Cage day and it's hard to be sad on Nicolas Cage day is there a limit to how many Nicolas Cage day is no 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 you have as many Nicolas Cage days as you need (laughs) it is not a once a year thing it's whenever you need a Nicolas Cage day (laughs) so my husband and I um, lived apart for a long time. We both teach at universities and we couldn't get jobs at the same university. Happily, we now do. And that's a very happy thing. So um, like a lot of times the day before he had to drive back to where he lived, we would have a Nicolas Cage day. That's how it originated. And basically it started because I, that's why it started. And so what is Nicolas Cage Day? If you would like to observe Nicolas Cage Day, how do you do it? Let me tell you. Um, It's pretty loosey-goosey. You should be very comfy. You should stay in the house all day. um, And just be lazy and comfy. 
And the key things of observing Nicolas Cage Day is you watch Nicolas Cage movies all day. Um, you can do other things. They can be on in the background, but you have to watch at least three Nicolas Cage movies to make it a Nicolas Cage Day. And then the second thing you do is you eat Kentucky Fried Chicken with champagne. Okay. That is the food okay. of Nicolas Cage Day. KFC and champagne. And you might be asking yourself, why is that? And oh, no, I'm not asking myself, I... why is that? That makes perfect sense. But <laughs> maybe someone out combo. there is asking. <laughs> if anyone is asking, um, it is because I looked up what is Nicolas Cage's favorite meal. And he said that his favorite meal and how he celebrates like ending a movie shoot or anything like that is with KFC and champagne. And when asked, why is that your favorite meal? He said, when I was nine years old, my father brought home a bucket of Colonel Sanders original recipe and a bottle of champagne. The combination of this Americanized tempura chicken and champagne was absolutely unforgettable. I don't know if I'd recommend doing that with anyone's nine-year-old, but it was fun at the time. So at nine years old, <laughs> Nicholas Cage's father brought him a bottle of champagne and a bucket of chicken and said, hey, kid, it's, it's dinner time. time. <laughs> and that embedded itself in his memory so hard is the perfect meal. And so, yeah, Nicholas Cage days, just watch as many Nicholas Cage movies as you can and have KFC and is, champagne. Is there KFC in Brisbane? There is. There okay. is. I looked okay. into this. I lived in England for a while and there are KFCs in England, but they, the only side you can get is French fries, which is a terrible combination with fried chicken. In my opinion, that's too much fried. Yeah. Yeah. But in Australia, they do have the coleslaw. They do have the mashed potatoes. Very important. Sadly, they don't have biscuits. They have dinner rolls instead. Mm, but a KFC biscuit is a nice thing, but I, I don't feel like that's you know a necessary component for the core elements of Nicolas Cage Day. No, it's just yeah, the biscuits are very good, and I will miss them. But we'll try the dinner rolls out. At least it's not just French fries. Um, so yeah, bucket of chicken, champagne, Nick Cage movies. Any day that you're going to be sad, make it a Nicolas Cage day. I love it. I love it. And yes, that's a pop culture thing. That's yes. Nick Cage's pop culture. And so I thought of this. You helped me arrive at this because I was feeling kind of sad about Thanksgiving. And you mentioned Wally's World. Willie's World? What? It is. Now I'm. Willie's Wonderland. Willie's Wonderland. And I went, that's a Nicolas Cage movie. Back in so that's going to kick off our Nicolas Cage Day. I'm going to watch it. I've been saving it and I haven't watched it yet, but I'm but saving tell me what it you think. for Nicolas Cage Day. I did see Five Nights at Freddy's and it was terrible. Okay. Okay. So you I don't don't like it, but I know, I know I'm going to like. I think you're going to like, I think you're going to like Willis yeah. Wonderland. Yeah. All right. Is that, I, that's it. I, I want to make that like, like we should make cards for it and like we should. <gasps> You yeah. should make this a thing. Yeah. Instead of condolence cards. Yeah. Here's, here's, an, here's a Nick Nicole, Cage for you. Yeah. Cage card. Yes. Yeah. You could give people, know you know, we could get so KFC on board so that there's day. like so a happy Nick Cage day. Yeah. So KFC yes. could like, like gift certificate for your KFC bucket and champagne. And like, yeah, I feel like there's a lot of potential yeah. here. 
yeah, they should sell like Colonel Select champagne that they yeah. just have in the back for when someone, and then you order the Nick Cage Day special and they throw in the champagne for you. Yep. Okay, I'm going to get on that. Yeah. I'm going to re- I'm gonna reach out. I'll send out feelers to KFC. Please send that email to KFC, like corporate KFC. Like, Dear KFC. Excuse me. <laughs> I need you. This is very important. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not even charging you for my idea. I just need you to do this. This is yes, I just wanted in the world. This is your Absolutely. service to the world. All right. My pop culture thing is on um a long drive home yesterday. I started listening to the wedding scammer. Have you heard about this? It no. is a podcast from The Ringer and Spotify. Um, and it is about it's a true crime. Uh, but the host, I have not listened to all of it. For one, it isn't all out yet. Um, so I, there are seven episodes. I've listened to four, and I think five of them are out. Probably by the time you hear this, the sixth one will be out. So it'll be almost almost all of it, but I've only listened to four. And so the host of the podcast was himself scammed by this man who like started a, it was called Newsarati. News, have you heard of the Newsarati scam? Okay, so he said he no. wanted to create like Huffington Post, but better. And he hired all of these writers. And um, but then just nobody was getting paid. It had a very like the WeWork scam kind of uh, veneer to it where there was like lots of fanciness about to make it seem as if he was very rich and had a lot of money. But then like when it came to actually paying bills, none of that was happening. And he had promised mm-hmm. them like, you know, memberships to this very exclusive uh, LA gym. And then when they went to like, go try to, to like use them, they're like, we have no idea what you're talking about. We've never heard of this person. So just, just a lot of glitz and glamor and then none of the, but they couldn't really figure out what the scam was because I mean, while yeah, he was getting a lot of free labor, it was really rushed forced, like, just write as much like content as you can for this website as fast as you can. And so it wasn't super high quality, not because the writers weren't good, but just because of the way he had it set up, they couldn't do their jobs well. And then (laughs) he didn't pay for the news hosting. So the site was only live for like 24 hours. So everybody's like, what is like, what is he getting out of this? And so at the point where I'm at, and I don't want to give too many spoilers because I think people should listen to it. It's, it's really interesting. I like true crime that isn't all like, and then we found the body and looked at all of it. Like like, she was decapitated. Right. So, um, it, this, it, it gets much deeper. Um, they find out that this, this, person has been using different aliases and creating different scams and I won't give too much of that away but uh the element of it that is so interesting to me is that and I don't think this is a spoiler um is that this person is kind of serially scamming people and they will eventually bring a lawsuit and get a judgment um for sometimes three thousand dollars the highest one that I've heard so far was nineteen thousand dollars but there are dozens of these so totaling hundreds of thousands of dollars of judgments against this man for wrong that he's done to people and he just literally never pays them and when they go to you know the authorities are like yeah we're not you know like that's not really our thing we don't really deal with that like and so there's just no way to enforce actually getting paid and he's not facing any consequences for it so like they've done the legal work of suing him and paying for a lawyer and getting the case, the evidence together and showing up and making their case. And most time he just doesn't show up to court. And so there's just like a, a default judgment against him because he doesn't even defend himself, but then he just never makes the payment. And like, I've heard about things like that happening. Like we were talking here about 
um, the guy who has the the waffles and ice cream place Yeah. in, in St. Louis that they're all shut down now because there were so many, um, like the landlords, multiple landlords had sued this guy. I'm like, you, you haven't paid rent in like forever. And he wouldn't leave the buildings. But now his ex-girlfriend is suing him because she says she lent him like, I think it was like $150,000 that she said was for his business. And she has no, she didn't know if he actually like put it where, and they had like an agreement that it had to go towards his business. But since he obviously was still getting sued for not paying rent, she doesn't think that it went there. And like, so again, it, he's just not paying, like he gets these judgments against him, but he's just not paying them and there isn't any real legal recourse. And so I was going to make it my research thing to just figure out like the legal system for like writing a bad check or for, you know, these kinds of like having like, And it was really interesting to me because one of the things that came up was um, the ACLU talking about sort of the equivalent of debtor's prison in America. But those were all companies collecting against individuals. Like um, there were people who were using like these laws in several states. I think it looked like more than half the states. Again, I ended up not choosing it for my research thing, so I didn't go as deep. But it was just really interesting to see that like if you are an individual who didn't pay your debts and a company like that has the resources to use these legal things where you could go to prison or you can have your wages garnished and you could like your life could be really thrown apart by having what essentially could just be like, you know, not being able to pay your bills because you had some sort of crisis. Whereas these individuals who are just scamming, scamming, scamming and going from place to place and racking up all this debt and having these, um, but because they have the guise of a business or the guise of an LLC, um, or, you know, maybe they legitimately had a business, but then they stopped paying bills, don't have that, right? Like that they're not getting the consequences of that. And it was just a really... I don't know. Just It's the really privileging, interesting. Yeah. the privileging of corporations in the U.S. is just so frustrating. Oh. So I... My, I'm about to start co-authoring a book on scammers and scammer aesthetics, and yet you listed like three scams in a row that I'm like, I don't know that, I don't know that, I don't know that, so that's very helpful. I need to do some more research, clearly. Should we go to research? Speaking of research Research things? thing. research thing so speaking of research and research things um we all know i'm kind of research caterpillar soup but i am slowly emerging but while i was research caterpillar soup i did uh make a lot of promises that i now have to uh i'm you know follow up on that's how it works in academia right you put out an abstract and it gets accepted you say i'll go to a conference so that oh it comes Um, and I was doing a lot of, as I talked about already on the podcast, silly things, just silly things that amused me, like daddy horse fashion, which, as I was telling Michelle earlier, is now written and hopefully will be published soon. And it's one of my favorite articles I've ever written. So sometimes silly titles can be very productive. My another silly title, though, that I promised was for a conference presentation at a conference here in Brisbane. The conference is called Digital Intimacies, and it's a really great conference that I really love. But um, I offered up, along with my spouse, because we work on stuff together sometimes, um, a paper called Mr. Beast's Giant Hole. 
And I think I've mentioned it before, but now, now it's come due. And now we have to say, what is the academic rigor and interest and worth of Mr. Beast's giant hole? And so I've been researching that and been working on that. And I just want to share one of my findings with you. And I just wanted, I'm so stoked. It's such a wildly crazy thing. So basically the Mr. Beast giant hole is about a very, very, if we've talked about him before on here because I, I talked about him before my, for my research because I've written about him for books before. I'm just, maybe I'm going to be the preeminent scholar on Mr. Beast. I don't know. We'll know everything there is to know. I'll know everything about Jimmy Donaldson. But I did talk about him on research about how he's like doing this, this new South in the U.S. tech boom. He lives in North Carolina and he is a YouTuber. He is the top YouTuber. He has the most subscribers and it's very hard to tell how much money a YouTuber makes, but he's probably one of the wealthiest or at least making the most money from YouTube itself, YouTubers. And so he made an extremely, even for him, very expensive video. His his videos are all about spectacle. They're very big. Um, as I've mentioned before, he is known for making remaking Squid Games, like Squid Games in real life. And when people put the money, did the math, that his Squid Games cost more per minute than the actual Squid Games show. So expensive videos are not new for him, but this was especially expensive and silly. Um, from reports that I can get a hold of, it cost about $3 million to make. And when he was talking about it with people, he did have this interesting quote and he said, I can achieve a hundred million views on my videos for less than $10,000 if I wanted to. That's entirely possible. But he is doing this, Michelle, not for views, but for art, I guess. <laughs> I guess that's the implication about why we're spending $3 million. So in this video, which is called Train versus Giant Pit, um, he basically, it is a wild video that I encourage everyone to watch. But within the span of maybe eight minutes, he crashes a ton of buses and cars into each other. He blows up some model homes. He challenges um, a fan to protect $1 million, like just in the middle of this video where there's all these explosions. He's like, I'm going to give a fan a million dollars if they can keep the $1 million, which is in a plexiglass case safe. A money box. He, it's a money box. Oh, money box theme. I definitely see this. And then he gives that viewer, the fan, his credit card. And he's like, you can spend as much as you want to protect this $1 million. And then at the end of however much, however long it takes, I'm going to blow it up with like a ton, this, a ton of, a lot of explosives. And so my thought is I would just take Mr. B's credit card run, but I'm sure there's a lot of uh, safety nets in place. And so throughout the video, we come back to this person who's just like trying to an infrastructure around this money box to protect it from the inevitable explosion that Mr. Beast will do. Um, he, but the the epitome, the epat, the apex of this video is there is a giant pit into which he drives a bus and a tank and then a train. He drives a train into a giant pit. When you say he drives, like who is? Who is literally driving? Oh, they like, I think they push it 
I okay. I cannot figure out it. Nobody is falling in. Well, this is what I'm getting to. Um, <laughs> nobody real was was hurt in the making of this. But so I guess they're for the cars at least, they're not very forthcoming about how they get the train. The train, there's a lot of cuts, there's a lot of skepticism on the internet. Is it even real? When they're crossing the crashing the buses and the cars, and he's done this in previous videos. He has a previous video called like bus versus wall where he just crashes a bus into a wall they have you know they basically try tie weights around the gas pedal or they hook it up and have they get to by remote control he has a whole team of engineers for this video that are helping him do this and like explosive technicians so i think they've they've rigged it up somehow where it can self-drive or they're pushing it so um although they i think the tank might have pulled the train into the hole there's too much happening. This video breaks your brain. In this video, when they, they start by having like a model of Mr. Beast's house that they blow up, they're crashing all these cars. They have dummies and mannequins of him and all of his like team of friends. And they have like, they printed out pictures of their faces and they put it on the mannequins and they have t-shirts with their names on it. And they are like stand-ins for them. And, and so they put them in the house. They're like, everyone's in their room in the house before we explode it. Or they put them in in the you know driver's seat of the bus before they crash the bus. And I'm just like, why? It's such a there's so much happening in this video. There's so many giant explosions and crashes. Why take the extra time to make a mannequin of yourself and have it be destroyed? That was very interesting to me. I feel it's very psychoanalytic. There's something there, perhaps. And so that is what this research was kind of about that's what i have to figure out for this conference talk and so what i learned i haven't quite totally figured it out i have somewhat of a theoretical hook i will share with you in a little but it is so hard to figure out anything about mr beast he's very quiet he's full of ndas um and so finding out how videos are made is difficult and as we were talking about before google is terrible now and so I was desperately trying to find out where does a YouTuber get the land and the space and the infrastructure where you can dig a giant pit to put a whole train into. There were railroad tracks, right? This train was on tracks. And then when they were crashing cars, it looked like it was at an abandoned racetrack. It was a racetrack. There were stadium bleachers. And it seemed like he owned all this land or at least got to use it. And unfortunately... They're on the internet on some, you know, ghost of a ghost of a ghost written website. This fact about he it says that he filmed it on this ranch and resort, which I can just say is not true. But now every website for pages and pages and pages is saying that because not a lot of people are fact checking things about Mr. Beast anyway. But I did learn that he worked with the Great Smoky Mountains Railroad to get these trains. Basically they sold him trains that would have been scrapped anyway. And then to film this video and his train versus, I mean, bus versus wall, which was also train versus wall where he crashes them into walls video, two different videos. He worked with the GSMR, Great Smoky Mountain Railroad. And he rented out, he bought out the route that they would use so he could film so, so like for a whole week 
all the income and whatever the amount they said, this is what it costs to run this for a week, he paid them. So he bought out the route, he bought scrap trains. I learned this on a Reddit board about trains where people were arguing extremely passionately about the morals and ethics of the video because they were like, those should be in museums. Those parts should be used for other trains. Like it's not, this was a bunch of people who love trains so much. And they were so mad about this video where he was just destroying trains. And it was, it was amusing, but also very informative. And so I was doing all this research, going down a rabbit hole of Reddit train boards. And I learned a fascinating, fascinating historical about a historical event that I did not know about. And I think this might be the key to unlocking my whole conference paper. Or I'm an academic sham or both. It can be both. Um, on the Reddit train board, I learned about the crash at Crush. And isn't that just a wonderful name? Crash at Crush. The Crash at Crush. That just is so, it captures the imagination, doesn't it? Crash at Crush. So what is the Crash at Crush? And if you tell me you've heard about the Crash of Crush, I'll be heartbroken. I have I never, never heard about no, it. No idea. So the Crash at Crush, and we've kind of been talking about, right? Like corporations. I'm seeing a pre-connection about like corporate personhood. Um, it was a publicity stunt organized by the Missouri, Kansas, and Texas Railway Company, and it took place on September 15th, 1896 near Waco, Texas. So it's a very, and a lot of, from what I could tell in research, it's not the first, but it's considered a very early marketing spectacle stunt where a corporation puts on this event, right, for advertising purposes. And we have to argue about, well, what's the heyday of advertising? When do we start considering advertising advertising? There's a lot to unpack about what would ever be the first historically. But in terms of like modern to contemporary history, this is very important and one of the first in terms of a way to get publicity for a big corporation. And so it was called the Crash at Crush because it was thought up by William George Crush, who was a general passenger agent for the railroad. And he suggested this idea and the higher up said, hey, great idea, you go and spearhead it. And they put him in charge of this event. And what the event was, was that they would crash two trains into each other. How fun, the crash of crush. And that's that's what the event was. The spectacle, which was put on by this giant railway corporation was to slam two trains into each other. And it was free and open to the public. And the railroad, of course, offered reduced fares from anywhere in Texas to go there. And that was right part of it. There was a lot. They hoped that the spectacle and news about it would just, you know, put the the railroad's name in the air. But also people were buying these reduced race tickets just to go. And it really worked. About 40,000 people showed up for the crash at Crush. Um, and it was a very carnival-esque atmosphere. There were, you know, food stands and people selling stuff. There were um, Ringling Brothers Circus brought in tents so that people could like have events and have food. And so basically the way the event worked was 
it was very delayed because they could not get this giant crowd of 40,000 people to back up to a safe distance until like 5 p.m. at night. Um, eventually they did. And then the two trains, which just had like, right, decked out in advertising for the railway, ton of logos. They slowly, slowly drove toward each other and stopped. And everyone took photographs for the news. Then they backed up. And, and then they drove into each other at a very high speed. And I love this article from Smithsonian Magazine about this event is called A Train Company Crashed Two Trains. You will believe what happened next. And because what happened next was awful. It was a disaster. They, they crashed two trains at high speeds into one another with a crowd of 40,000 people there. And basically what happened next was the boilers of the trains exploded. Of course they did. Of I don't know anything about trains, but that is 100% what I would assume would happen. Yes. And it just scattered train debris and railway track debris into the crowd. It killed two people. It injured so many more. It's lucky it did not kill more people. And what really is this like Bartesian punctum for me? I'll just send you the link to the photo in the, our chat. All right. So I'm um, looking at. So, yes. Yeah. I'm looking at it's like a beautiful a, photo. It is a really beautiful photo. Yeah. Like really the interesting. photographer Joe Dean took that amazing photo. It's right at the moment of impact. Of right? the actual right crash, at, not the fake. Yeah, not the fake crash. Oh, you can Joe tell because like this train on the right is very blurry with motion. Like, yeah. Joe Dean took this amazing photo, captured the moment of impact, and was immediately blinded by a flying Aww. bolt from the train. And just like, you look at that photo and then you, you think about that. It's just horrifying, but fascinating. Um, so yeah, this event was a complete mess, you would think. Crush was fired because of course he was. He, he murdered people, basically. But the very next day, the railway company rehired him. So he was not really fired. And it was, they didn't fire him. They're like, you're out of here. But then the next day, the national papers picked up the story and did not report on it negatively. Um, and they were able, the railway company was able to pay off um, the families of the deceased. They paid off those who were injured and still made so much money off of it that it became a horrific precedent we live by today for corporations and how they act in the world. So yeah, I learned that what was also interesting to me was I learned that while Mr. Beast shoots most of his stuff in North Carolina, from what I can tell from his work with the railway station, he the railway company he works with, this particular train versus giant pit video was filmed only three hours away from where the crash at crushed was and i know that's not intentional but it feels just very haunting and like hauntological and important and so i'm just trying to think all this through for my conference presentation and my theoretical i something i'm thinking through is um i'm very very into george bataille these days i've been reading a lot i like a lot of his theorization on notions of like expenditure and waste. And so I thought of this quote that I read from Bataille while thinking about Mr. Beast and the crash of crush, which is 
Cults require a blood wasting of men and animals in sacrifice. In the etymological sense of the word, sacrifice is nothing other than the production of sacred things. And I I I want to do Ooh. something with there there's an audience for this spectacle. And I've argued in a in before about YouTube influencers that they are both the product and the corporation, right? That they are, they have to become a corporate entity, but also they are what is being sold. And that creates this kind of new class um, of people and workers. And it is very difficult to be in that position. And I just think that there was something about those people dying in that spectacle. And yet there, it, the audience you're not going to directly die from watching a YouTube video. And so this is all maybe very tentative, but maybe there just still has to be that kind of waste of blood in this corporate excess cult we've created for ourselves. And that's why he has the mannequins of himself and his friends. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I'm thinking about that, the destruction and the waste and the loss and luxury itself through Bataille. Um, and so, the just I got so caught up about... in the crash with crush that I forgot about the mannequin sure. part. But when you were talking about the mannequins, the first thing that came to mind for me, and it, for a minute I was like, no, don't say it because that like where she ended up taking this is not related. But then I doubled like I double guessed myself. I'm like, I think it is. Um, so do you know? I can't remember which song it is for Taylor Swift, but for Avril Lavigne, it's the girlfriend song. Where they, in both of them, they're like singing songs about liking a boy and he's with another woman. But in the video, they play both with me. Them, themselves yes. and the other person. Yes. And I feel like there's like, I, I feel like there is a related link there. Like that um, creating the avatar of the avatar. Because, you know, Mr. Beast and his production crew, you're not getting to know them as people. Like you're only getting to know them as this like avatar entity anyway so then for them to create this version of themselves just to see it destroyed and i feel like those in those pop songs they did the same thing um in a way that is maybe just disturbing and misogynistic or maybe really smart and you know subversive or both it could be both can be both yeah mr beast talks so much about how he doesn't actually make much money. He puts all of his money back into these things. He's going to burn himself out. Of all the YouTubers, I think he is especially aware of how he, he is the one producing the content. He's also the one whose labor is being exploited, but it's being exploited by himself in a very direct way. And just, yeah, yeah. And I never thought about those music videos because it is very psychoanalytic of like wanting of like making doppelgangers and making versions of yourself but it also like you said exactly it's a very smart marketing to be both of those girls to be the one who loses the boy and gets the boy and yearns for the boy but is the pretty popular girl yeah it's almost kind of like crashing two of your own trains into one another <laughs> i just that smithsonian article a train company crashed two trains. You will believe what we'll believe. You'll believe this. It's not it's not a surprise, folks. Yep. yep. So yeah, I um that's my research. I just I 
got really excited. I mean, it's a horrific and sad event, but it's also fascinating. That the crash crush, crush, and I just and it love feels like there's so much it. metaphor to like pull out of there. I like, yeah, like it's like a train wreck. You can't look away. Like, I mean, did we say that before <gasps> Until this? You're did blinded. This... Until you're blinded. Did this come from that? Like, where does that phrase come from? Man, I don't know. This did set off a trend of um, railroads crashing trains into each other. Like, there were several after this. I really, we need to look up the origin of that phrase, like a yes, like a train wreck. Yeah, there's just, again, Bataille talks a lot about how waste and excess um, and there's pleasure in destruction, how that could be harnessed for political and economic ends, and that, like, excess waste is a way that the bourgeois demonstrate and distinguish themselves from um other classes fits right in and with it's like what is it money and does yeah and but it does and but does take it to human sacrifice he does say this will go this will this includes waste of life and blood yeah he also though Fun fact, not fun fact about Bataille. Um, he genuinely believed that, like, he genuinely wanted to see, like, a lottery-based um, organized system of living. And I don't mean the lottery like you win money. I mean, like, the lottery short story. Like, he really thought it would tie people together in a good way. If there was just sacrificed way. somebody every yeah. so often. He tried to get, like, his circle of friends to do that. And he was like, I am not kidding. And that uh, it didn't go over well. I'm glad that he had some people in his life to be like, maybe not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although you think Bataille, sorry, I'm very into Bataille right now. You think Bataille is this just off the hook um, wild guy. But Walter Benjamin, people forget this. Before Walter Benjamin went off into the Alps and died, he gave all of his work to Bataille to keep safe. And the reason that we can read Walter Benjamin and know him today is because he trusted Bataille to to have all his papers and his writings. Bataille was the the fan that got to build a fortress around the million dollars. <laughs> yes. No notes. Your turn. Your research. Um, you can't get all better right. than that, so... My research thing is the things we've done to fruit flies. <gasps> I'm so excited. <laughs> I've done so many things to fruit flies. It usually involves vinegar. I'm going to tell you why I'm talking about this first. And there will be a little cameo about bat penises because I couldn't figure yes. out where else to fit them. So <laughs> buckle up. <laughs> Mayo. <laughs> Angel just, Brush, just, very good. just lay it out the expectations before we get I just to... really liked the turn of phrase of I didn't know where to fit this bad penis. <laughs> oh, and once you see or hear what it's really about, that'll be even funnier. All right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So in. click like my November teen book club selection that I'm running with my teens is Your Inner Fish by Neil Schumann. Do you know this book? No. So it is also a PBS documentary series now that's very popular. So Neil Schumann is the co-discoverer of the Tiktaalik fish, which is the fish with hands. Um, so it is uh, seen as one of the links between, you know, when we went from being 
water dwelling to land dwelling and by we i mean all living things right so it's a one of the evolutionary links in how how all life developed from you know single cell organisms on up and that we all were in the water at one point and then it was like oh how did we stop being in the water and it's really fascinating like i highly recommend this book it is very well written shubin does an excellent job of making it um smart and funny but also really like uh just accessible is a very good which is hard to find in the science community like somebody who can really like make something accessible to the mainstream um, so I recommend it. There's lots and lots and lots of extremely interesting things in here, um, including a chapter. Chapter four is just called Teeth Everywhere, which is about um, teeth being everywhere. It's really fun. Oh, that's a that's a great title, too. Love that. But I am particularly interested in the discussion of things we have done to fruit flies. Um, so fruit flies are used a lot in scientific experiments. And the most obvious reason for that is just because they are, well, one, not very many people line up to like protest your use of fruit flies. Like they're not cute, like mice or monkeys. And so, you know, you're not going to get a lot of pushback. Um, And two, they are cheap. You can produce them very easily. Um, Three, they don't take up a lot of room four they have they only have like a two-week lifespan so you can get lots and lots of generations of them in Mm. a single you know semester or year however long you have to do your experiments and so they're just very useful in many ways but a lot of the things that they're studying in fruit flies are about like human diseases and so people are like how useful is that really so you might be surprised to learn that fruit flies actually have a 60 percent genetic overlap with the human genome so um, quite a few genes in fruit flies directly link to genes in humans and so we can kind of use them in a, a really interesting way to learn more about human biology especially diseases so an even higher amount of um the genome for fruit flies that are linked to diseases map on with humans. So we can use them a lot oh, to learn wow. about diseases. So let me see if I can find the right page in here where we talk about one of the weird things we've done to fruit flies. Okay. So I'm just going to read this section to you. It's called of flies and men um, from your inner fish by Neil Shubin. Flies have a body plan. They have a front and a back, a top and a bottom, and so on. Their antenna, wings, and other appendages pop out of the body in the right place, except when they don't. Some mutant flies have limbs growing out of their heads. Others have duplicate wings and extra body segments. These are among the, fl- the fly mutants that tell us why our vertebrae change shape from the head end to the anal end of the body. People have been studying abnormal, abnormal flies for over 100 years. Mutants with one particular kind of abnormality got special attention. The flies had organs in the wrong places, a leg where an antenna should have been, an extra set of wings, or were missing body segments. Something was messing with their fundamental body plan. Ultimately, these mutants arise from some sort of error in the DNA. Remember that genes are stretches of DNA that lie on the chromosome. Using a variety of techniques that allow us to visualize the chromosome, we can identify the patch of the chromosome responsible for the mutant effect. Essentially, we breed mutants to make a whole population where every individual has a genetic error. Then, using a variety of molecular markers, we can compare the genes of individuals with the mutation to those without. This allows us to pinpoint the region and the likely stretch of chromosome responsible for the mutant effect. It turns out that a fly has eight genes that make such mutants. These genes lie next to one another on one of the long DNA strands of the fly. The genes that affect the head segments lie next to those that affect the segments in the middle of the fly, the part of the body that contains the wings. 
These bits of DNA, in turn, lie adjacent to the ones that control the development of the rear part of the fly. There is a wonderful order to the way the genes are organized. Their position along the DNA strand parallels the structure of the body from front to back. Now the challenge was to identify the structure of the DNA actually responsible for the mutation. Mike Levine and Bill McGinnis in Walter Gehrig's lab in Switzerland and Matt Scott in Tom Kaufman's lab in Indiana noticed that in the middle of each gene was a short DNA sequence that was virtually identical in each species they looked at. This little sequence is called a homeobox. The eight genes that contain the homeobox are called Hox genes. When scientists fished around for the gene sequence in other species, they found something so uniform that it came as a true surprise. Versions of the Hox genes appear in every animal with a body. And so I just think that's amazing, right? Like they, they yeah. found this segment and every animal with a body has it. And so by studying it in fruit flies, we've learned a lot about how to, um, you know, learn about genetic mut mutations in humans, especially ones that cause like really terrible deformities or ones that might make it where you can't survive once you're born, things like that. And, and we're looking at ways we can manipulate those and, and help people. In doing so, we have done things like make fruit flies grow eyes all over their bodies because we oh no so just Ugh. i'm just really interested in like we've just done really weird things to fruit flies really for, you know like made some great strides in in research and medical advances but just from a fruit fly perspective you have to be like what is wrong with these humans they're always like capturing us and making flies or eyes pop out of our legs or, you know, the wrong part of our body grow. Um, so I went and did some extra research on some of the other weird things we've done to fruit flies. Um, and this is the one that I'm going to also include a little side note about bat penises in. So optogenetics is when you take a you are able to manipulate neurons and turn them on just with the use of light. So there was a group of researchers that used optogenetics to create genetically modified male fruit flies that ejaculated on command with the use of a specific shade of red light. And so they used this to figure out if the fruit flies liked ejaculating. And so they put a red light in one section of the fruit fly's tank. Oh, see interesting. If the genetically modified fruit flies would go over to the red light and intentionally make themselves ejaculate over and over again because they were in the red light. Um, so the red light district of the tank. Um, oh, and, ha -ha. <laughs> and so the genetically modified males all went out and hung out on the red lights and the females and the non-genetically modified males did not. And so they could reasonably hypothesize that they enjoyed that in some way. So, um, and the research was about being helpful in reward behavior as a way to research treating drug abuse um, because they found that like, there was a, a part of the study was like that um, the flies, I don't, I, I can't quite remember all the details about how these studies went together, but there was another study with the flies and alcohol. And apparently like, you know, if they got to just go to the red light and force themselves into ejaculation all the time, then they wanted to drink less alcohol. I don't know that that's the cure for drug addiction, but um, <laughs> there was just, <laughs> there was just this interesting connection between like pleasure, reward and addiction, addictive behavior and substances. And so that's what they were hoping to research. Um, I didn't know where else to fit this, but I wanted to tell you about it. So I am going to take a little detour real quick into another study I read today. Um, this one is called 
well-endowed bat becomes first mammal known to reproduce without penetration. As longtime <laughs> listeners might know, I am fascinated by the anatomy of bird penises. In fact, that most birds don't have penises. I won't bore you with that entire long spiel again, but I do find it really interesting because it has made female birds have more power in sexual relationships because male, most with the exception of ducks, which are terrifying rapists, um, most birds cannot force themselves on a female because of their anatomy. And so I had that in mind as I know that a bat is not a bird and just make it clear, but I had that in <laughs> mind as I was reading this article. Um, so there is a species of bat. I mean, what is the, right? The uh, bird penis to mammal penis uh, pipeline. Here we right, go. Right. Where is, where's the, mammals? where's the missing yeah. link in the, yeah. yeah. So, um, so this, this serotine bat has a penis that is seven times too large to fit into the vaginal opening of the female of its species. And so scientists have apparently been really curious about how they reproduce. Really don't know where to put it. Right. They're like, what are you doing with that thing? Um, and so <laughs> there's a question. By chance, we had observed that these bats have disproportionately long penises, and we were always wondering, how does that work? Said first author Nicholas Fassel. <laughs> and I like the, we were always wondering, I'm like, how long always. and how many conversations, like how much of your time has gone into thinking about this topic? Um, but so they did get to, to see the act in action, so to speak, um, because they because they had some well-placed cameras. And so um, they also said, if you are wondering how you come about such precise measurements of a bat's penis, the species comes with the convenient quirk of getting an erection while under anesthesia, a trait shared by several Vesper bats. Awkward for the yeah. anesthetist, but convenient for research. So uh, yeah, so because anytime they're under anesthesia, they immediately get an erection, they are easy to measure because not only are they, you know, available for measurement they are also knocked out available um, for measurement <laughs> <laughs> so they um were able to capture footage of 97 separate mating events with these bats and what they realized is that they do not have penetrative sex at all so they quote wield their erect penises a bit like an arm to clear the way so they could have better <laughs> contact with the vulva <laughs> just just Get out of here. <laughs> Clear the path. Make room. A, female serotine bats have tail membranes they can use as a form of protection against unwanted male attention. It's possible that the enormous penis size may have been an adaptation for the males to overcome this barrier by forcibly pushing it out of the way with their huge erections. Um, and once they are in position, the mating pair stays in an embrace for any time between 53 minutes to 12.7 hours. And so wow. there is there is no penetration. It is just contact with their giant arm-like penis. And Cuddling. They clear the path and then they cuddle. Um, and the final line of this article is, we are trying to develop a bat porn box, which will be like an aquarium with cameras everywhere. Wow. Which isn't. I mean, maybe we could tie it to a money box. All right. I immediately thought money box, porn box. I mean, I it's dangerous, but let's try. 
so some other things we've done to fruit flies now that we've done that aside um in addition to giving them red lights and genetic modifications to make them constantly ejaculate is that also did you know flies ejaculate like is that a thing like like you were saying no, it's you like never thought about spit. birds i never spitting? thought yeah yeah like, I mean, I, I can't guess say I that I didn't. Well, obviously, I didn't know that, but I also just never thought about yeah, it. Yeah, it was never, never a consideration. Um, space travel. I mean, you know, here on this podcast, we've talked about launching jellyfish into space, which is much more interesting than fruit flies, yes. in my opinion. But um, yes. they're really good at us being able to study the impact because of their short lifespan. Um, and so, one thing we've learned about space travel at least in fruit flies is that their muscles get weaker including their heart so we're that has helped us like kind of think through what would be the cardiac uh consequences of having a human in space for a large portion of their life um we also learned that because fruit flies only have an innate immune system and they don't have an adaptive immune system like we do we have both innate and adaptive uh, but only vertebrates have adaptive immune systems so they have come back from space with a much higher susceptibility to fungal infections because the fungal infection immune response was somehow disrupted and left them more responsible to diseases, but not to um, other kinds of diseases, not to like viruses, huh. but just to like fungal. So they're like, that might mean that when we do space travel, we need to kind of think of fungal barriers and things like that. So it's helping us like consider things we might need for, for future human space travel. Um, we also, for over a hundred years, doctors didn't understand what happened in your brain during anesthesia. It didn't stop them from doing yes, it. But they... I know that, that I know I once researched anesthesia for a long time and it is wild. I'm Oof. terrified of anesthesia. Like, I mean, it's probably truly an irrational phobia, but I've, you know, given birth to two children with no pain medication of any kind because it terrifies me i had my wisdom teeth removed with only local anesthetic um and i tried to get them oh, to operate i tried to get them to operate on my ankle without putting me under and they were like no you insane lady like that's not possible it's like i just you're gonna get in our way yeah. <laughs> like, no we're definitely putting you under um i don't know it just terrifies me and so i don't really understand it's, you, it's scary it really is a scary yeah. thing it's still pretty dangerous using fruit flies we were able to figure out there were two hypotheses about how anesthesia worked there's a lipid hypothesis and a membrane protein hypothesis but in june 2020 some fruit fly research showed that the um lipid hypothesis was more likely to be correct because there is a pld2 protein that binds with a i don't it was very complicated and this is not my field of study they showed me a cool little graphic so i'll, I'll put the video in so you can watch it yourself but um like the because of these lipid rafts when there is the disruption with anesthesia it sends them out like they used to they were trapped but now they're like all spreading around and so those proteins get to bind with something and that releases potassium but they're still trying to figure out, like, why does this exist? Why does the brain do this? Because obviously we didn't, like, evolve for anesthesia. Like, that wasn't the plan. Yeah. So, like, why would your brain respond that way? Um, and I am, yeah, I'm fascinated and terrified. By it. The fruit flies are helping us figure it out. We've also Thank used them to help flies. understand fear. And the thing I found most interesting about this was the discussion of fear as behavior rather than any subjective measures. Because, like, 
you know, scientists don't like to deal with the subjectivity of like feelings when they're doing their research. So they're like, we just want to see how something behaves. And so they would like put all of the all of the fruit flies in a tube and then like put a shadow over it like like it was like a bird swooping down at them which there's a connection right the magpies and so they would they would observe how they behaved so they would freeze or hop around erratically they would leave their food and take longer and longer to come back to it based on how long the shadow came that kind of helped us like understand fear better and then the last one i'm going to tell you about is the um they Genetically modified, again, because the sequencing on them is so easy to do because they have far fewer, like, gene sequences to mess with. They genetically modified fruit flies to have increased cestrins, uh, which the goal, what they were researching was to find out if somebody is, like, elderly and can't move around well or somebody is recovering from an injury what can we do to help with um physical fitness at a time when you can't really exercise and so sestrins um they created like a little fly treadmill because they had them all in these like test tubes and they would drop the test tube and the flies would crawl back to the top and they dropped them and they crawl back to the top so it's just like we're making them climb up and down this test tube over and over again um and so Cestrins were required to get the benefits of exercise, but the flies that were genetically modified to have increased cestrins, they got buff. They got like muscular even without exercise. So cestrins were created by tinkering with their genome and not through a supplement. So we don't really know how we could use that to help people yet because we're probably not going to genetically modify ourselves. I don't know. We might genetically modify ourselves to just be buff all the time. Um, But yeah, so they're there are some weird things we have done to fruit flies in the name of science. Wow. 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 That the mind reels at a, just an eye covered fruit fly, especially <laughs> that one really got me the, the red light ejaculation. Fascinating, of course, but the, there's some Cronenberg level stuff with the, the fruit fly made of eyes. Ooh. Well, I, I feel much more appreciative towards fruit flies who are the bane of so many people's existence, usually, if they come to your house. Yeah, I do feel like the next time I'm putting out my murder mug to kill them all, I should be like, thank you for your contributions to science. Now, please die. Yes. Yeah, yes. I don't want you to mess, though. Kill cups and murder mugs. Okay. Should we, should we recap? wrap it up? Yeah. Okay, I talked about making friends with magpies for my weird thing. I talked about mattress fundraisers and children dressed as mattresses. <laughs> it just, even though I know it was for a sales thing, I just love the image of their little hands dancing around. My pop culture was about Nicolas Cage Day and the observation of it that I hope is the hot new trend the next holiday. Mine was about the wedding scammer, the podcast. And, and my research thing was uh, Mr. Beast Giant Hole and the Crash at Crush. And mine was the weird things we've done to fruit flies with a little side note about bat penises. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, we had the themes, I think, of corporate 
overreach and power. We had money box themes, money box, money in boxes showed up twice. Porn box. Is there something about like manipulation? Like oh, absolutely. Yeah, because like your your magpie friends, you like looked up like how do I get like I'm gonna put it the cashew by my face so they notice my face like you know I'm kind of creating the circumstances in which you are most likely to be my friend and then Nicholas Cage Day is specifically when you're trying to manipulate yourself out of sad emotions yes. right yeah um and then I mean all like obviously all the things we do to fruit flies are manipulative very manipulative like literally we are literally manipulating their genes um yeah, yeah i would yeah. say crash at crush spectacle the spectacle and advertising of that in order to sell train tickets absolutely mattresses those cute kids they put those cute kids out in mattress costumes well and then like everything we talked about about our um sales experiences i mean the your experience of getting punished (laughs) you're great you don't write in pencil because i'm grumpy because i have to be here because i didn't sell it on calendars and then obviously scammers are manipulative okay so what do we want to say about manipulation and being manipulative because not all this manipulation is bad right like some of it is positive some of it might even be necessary in a way like for survival for happiness but some of it is definitely exploitative and negative and some of it like and i mean who's crashing two trains into each other is kind of dumb (laughs) it's very dumb but always who's happiness right i don't think how happy are those fruit flies well i guess the ones in the red light are very happy but like nicholas cage day that's a positive manipulation yeah Oh, yes, absolutely. I think your magpie friends, your magpie friends are getting, getting a good, good deal. It's a win-win. Yeah. I, yeah. Okay. So manipulation. I think it needs to be something like put something in a something, not a money box, right? Like a, like what's, what's the opposite of of the like what are our two what are our two ends of manipulation here and money box is one right money box is the bad boo put your feelings into nicholas cage not a money box put your sadness into nicholas cage in a kfc bucket put your yeah put your kfc in a bucket not a money into a money box um put yourself in that red light (laughs) i feel like we're like (sighs) i like the end of not in a money box i like like that a lot put something in a something not in a money box or not something in a money box like depending on where we we take it right put right i 
maybe like the the something should be like faith or hope or like put hope in the blank not the money box Yes, put hope in. Again, I just wanted to be Nicolas Cage. He carries a lot of weight here. Um, but what should we put our hope into? Not a pit, not a hope giant in the, pit. Put or... hope in the chicken bucket, not the money box. Yes, yes. <laughs> Is yes. that it? Put hope in the chicken bucket, not the money box. <laughs> I like it. But hope in the Me chicken too. bucket, not the money box. I'll include that in my email to Kia to KFC. Yeah. Be like, right. I got the slogan. It's, it's ready for, for everything. <laughs> Excuse me? Okay. Put your hope in the chicken bucket, not the, not money, the box. money box. Done. Perfection. Yeah. Yep. Couldn't say it was efficient, but I could say it was fun. It was fun. It was a fun yes. ride. Thank you for this. Um, and everyone should put their grab bags into the email. <laughs> We're never going to stop asking. Never. Agreementpodcast at gmail.com. Send us grab bags in audio, in but, written. Make an appointment. We don't care how you do it. Just give us things. But if you do ever celebrate Nicolas Cage Day, or you want to send us ideas for Nicolas Cage Day cards, you should just let us know and send us, send us, uh, notes on if anyone's observing Nicolas Cage Day because I would like to report on that on the I think podcast. that um age hams should make Nicolas Cage Day cards <gasps> oh my gosh yes oh my gosh goodbye everybody <laughs> goodbye put your hope in the chicken bucket not in the money not box not the money box <laughs>